touchdown. If he gets below 20 here, we think we're in deep, deep trouble. That uh, Most of the time through the winter, we get up to 50 or 55 or so in the daytime, unless there's a storm front moving through. But uh, yeah, this time of year, we've had actually pretty decent weather. It's been the 50s in the daytime mostly and down and around freezing and down to 20 at night occasionally. But uh, I sure do like this sunshine. Anyway, we uh, got to chapter 29 in Ezekiel the last time I spoke on this. I've had a couple of interruptions of things we needed to discuss otherwise, but uh, we'll start in chapter 29 today of the book of Ezekiel. Uh, Last time I went through Ezekiel, there were some areas that I wasn't sure exactly where I wanted to go or if I understood the meaning correctly of some of it, I think it's coming clear. So I want to finish this book and uh, see if we can put it better into perspective. Uh, chapter 28, we wound up with last time showing that uh, the city of Tyre really is ruled over by Satan and that Satan rules the kingdoms of this world, being the prince of the power of the air and the present ruler of this world. So that is established in chapter 28 that he's really behind it all. And the world's leaders, the world's societies and kingdoms and empires really are ruled over by him. And uh, he is the power behind the thrones. Except unless and when God decides to take a hand. So we came down to 29 and here it begins to talk about the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now, does that mean some little third, fourth-rate country over in northern Africa, or is this something else? Before we get into this, let's look at the geopolitics of the world as they stand at the moment, geo or geography, meaning the earth, and the political status, the political situation that we have in the world today is a study of geopolitics, but uh, (coughs) there are many acclaimed theologians and worldly preachers who proclaim that they have difficulty understanding why America is not mentioned in end-time prophecy. Some of them recognize that America is the Babylon of this day, And I agree with that. We are the present leader of Satan's Babylonian system. Uh, That doesn't mean we're going to stay there, because there are indications very clear that we will be destroyed, and another Babylon, or another head of Babylon, will arise. That's why it says Babylon is fallen, is fallen, I believe. Not just emphasis, but America will fall and no longer be the head, and a new head will arise. Uh, this one will have worldwide significant significance. So, we need to understand who is who in order to grasp and understand Bible prophecy. Now, I think you know, and I don't know whether you've had it put in these words or not, but the Bible is written to Israel by Israelites. It was not written by Chinese for Chinese or Africans for African. 
It was written by Israelites. Go through. Look at all the names. Look at all the genealogies. Look at whom God called as the different prophets and writers of the Bible throughout. And you will find Israelites everywhere you go. So this book was written to Israel, for Israel, presented to Israel, the Old Covenant of the Bible, of the Old Testament, was a covenant between Israel and God. The New Covenant was written, or was given, between God and His apostles in His New Testament church, and was written by the apostles. So that's, what, that's the origin of the Bible. That's where it came from. Well, where did it surface on earth? After the Middle Ages, let's say, when all was in darkness, books had been burned, everything was gone, and uh, people could barely speak their own language, much less anybody else's. Time of great destruction, uh, pestilence, plagues, famine, wars, and destruction. Where did the Bible surface? Well, doesn't Romans say that God had given the Old Testament to the Jews to maintain? Well, where are the Jews? Well, where did you find the Old Testament? Where you find that's where you find the Jews. Or perhaps Edomites along with them, but, but that's where it was given. And where did the Bible that we use today surface? Did we get it from China or Japan or Madagascar? No. It appeared and got translated in Europe, and the King James Version, the best there is to date, was translated in England for the King of Israel. That should begin to establish the white folks are Israelites, shouldn't it? That's where both versions or both iterations, Old and New Covenant, Old and New Testament, occurred was among the white people. So, there are other white people on earth as well, besides Israelites. Uh, if you'll remember history, Abraham was the man God decided to use, and he was in the line of Seth. Uh, I mean Shem, not Seth, excuse me. Seth had been gone a while. Uh, he was in the line of Shem, which are essentially the Semitic, Shemitic, or Semitic uh, races of today. Uh, Hagar was from Ishmael, or had Ishmael, which became twelve nations in itself, but they're not Israelites. They are Gentiles from Abraham uh, through Hagar. They can't be Israelites because there were no Israelites in Abraham's day. Abraham was not an Israelite. Isaac was not an Israelite. Israel did not exist until Jacob was renamed Israel and his sons became the Israelitish tribes. So it is through those tribes that God worked and that's where His Word was and it's where it is today. Now, we are the ones who have exported it to other continents. It hasn't taken on too well in the East, the Asian nations. <clears throat> it's been taken on more in Africa, but, and in 
South and Central America through the Catholic Church, but I can't even really say that the Bible has taken hold in South and Central America because the Catholics discourage Bible study and even discourage Bible ownership. So uh, that's not where it came from. Now, some of these theologians would understand that. They might have a better idea of what's going on in prophecy. Now, before we examine whom God punishes here, let's understand the power centers of the world today. There are essentially four. That's it. You've got the modern powers of the USA along with NATO or Israel... Northwestern Europe, essentially, uh, combined with Australia, New Zealand, and those white folks in South Africa, or basically where Israel is. So the USA today is the leader of the whole geopolitical world. Now that's crumbling, but still recognized as such, the only superpower they still say. The others are essentially Russia and what was the Soviet Union, uh, China and the Asian nations that are allied with or by blood allied with the Asian nations. And then the other modern power today is the Islamic movement. Not really a nation, it's a religion, but uh, comprised essentially of the twelve sons of Ishmael, that God said would also become great nations. So those are the four power centers. Now, if you were writing an end-time prophecy book, and you knew the end from the beginning, would you write it about Madagascar in Sierra Leone or some of these little nations around Monaco? because it shows great power, great wars, and great destruction. So God is God, and He knows the end from the beginning. So when He sat down to write end-time prophecies, did He have a senile moment and forget America? That's impossible. Couldn't be. We are the prominent nation on earth today. Say it quickly, because it isn't going to last much longer. But that's the way it is today. And that's the only four power structures, really, that there are. The USA, Russia, Asia, and the Muslims. Those are the four. You can't count Central and South America. Big area, big countries, but most of them are on the brink of... Uh, bankruptcy and go in and out of it and just barely survive with the help of foreign nations. Brazil, Argentina are always right on the edge of going under. Venezuela is now. Chile you don't think of or, you know, British Guiana or something like that. The major nations, Mexico is on the edge of bankruptcy all the time. Uh, so they aren't a big power structure. They are not a threat militarily, economically, or from that standpoint, even culturally, except as they come into America. So you can't say that the brown peoples, essentially, have any great power. 
Uh, Africa is also a big continent with great natural resources. But they've been raped of those resources primarily by uh, the Europeans and now the Chinese. So there's no power structure in Africa. Who, who's scared of Africa? Anybody? No, there's no military might or anything there to be afraid of. So that pretty well covers it. So the Bible has to deal with the power blocks and what happens between them. Now let's pull this down a little bit more to fit Bible prophecy and realize who we are dealing with in Bible prophecy with each of those four power blocks today. That will help us then understand the context of Ezekiel and some of these others better. Who is the USA? Well, we are Ephraim, the leading tribe of Israel. He said he would make us the firstborn there in Jeremiah 31. Change the birth order from Reuben to Ephraim. And we are the most prominent brother. You go back to Genesis 49 and all 48, all those chapters dealing with Israel, and who would be the most prominent? And the greatest blessings uh, were given to Joseph, and particularly Ephraim. And the hands were even switched so that Ephraim would be the most uh, blessed of the two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And this nation has been blessed far greater uh, over and over again than Britain, who is Manasseh. So, without going through the whole understanding of that, we are the nation of Ephraim, essentially. Now, there are other Israelite tribes mixed in with us, and there is a great mixture of Gentiles with us to this point. But we are essentially, and have been, Ephraim, and dominated as such by Israel. Now, we're being beginning to be dominated by Muslims and blacks and browns. Uh, Hosea even talks about it, how... Ephraim is a cake not turned, which means brown and black on bottom and brown on top. And uh, that's what happens to a cake that you put on the, the fire and don't turn over. It gets brown and black on the bottom. And that's what this nation is now. And, it's, and it starts getting brown on top, and uh, the Latin people are beginning to have more and more influence, especially in California, and it's being taken over. And La Raza uh, is a movement to take over the whole southwestern United States, and indeed that may very well happen. So brown and black is coming into prominence more and more, and that's what the book of Hosea says, written to Israel, written to Ephraim, and how we would be. Now, in addition to being the tribe of Ephraim, the United States is also the great whore of Ezekiel 16. People say the Catholic Church is the great whore. Well, who are the ones who say that? Does China call the Catholic Church the great whore? No, not that I've ever heard. Uh, who does? the Protestants, because they came out of Catholicism. And they, in my opinion then, are little, Protest little prostitute daughters, <laughs> if you will, 
And the Catholic Church, being a church, is depicted as a woman, as are all churches in the Bible. Uh, church is, is depicted as a woman. That's the type in Scripture. But God made it very clear in Ezekiel 16 that at his, in His estimation, Israel was the great whore. It talks about both Judah and Israel in Ezekiel and another place as well. Ahola and Aholabah being prostitutes. Uh, God, or Christ, divorced ancient Israel because of whoredoms. So if there's any major whore <coughs> in Bible history, it's Israel. Greater so than Jezebel or any others that are mentioned in the Bible. Israel is the great one in God's estimation. So then when we get to Revelation 18, and it talks about the great whore that has made the merchants of the earth rich, that can only apply to the whore that God designates, because the Catholic Church uh, has never made any nation rich. They've made the Vatican rich, but they have raped and pillaged and robbed and destroyed nations not a few. So they are not the merchants of the earth that have made the nations rich. And if you go through and, and read Jeremiah 50 and 51 and Revelation 18, this country in the latter days is the only one that fits the description of those scriptures and a plethora of others that I won't take the time to go through. So what is our fate then as both Israel who needs to be punished for her whoredoms and Babylon. Well, he says at the end of Revelation 17 that the whore rides the beast. Now, what do we have geopolitically in the world right now? We have the United States as the only superpower that has the great influence over those who are going to become the beast. We have our uh, bases all around Russia, all over Europe, all over the Middle East, the Far East. We're a military presence, I think, presence in around 180 countries out of 200 and a few on the earth. So we, right now, call the shots, and that which is to become the beast and the false prophet listen and do what we say. As long as we have the petrodollar, they will continue to do so. Because most oil still is sold in American dollars, and that's what allows us to print them and to go into debt, because people have to have our money. But that is changing very rapidly, even as we speak of this. Uh, the Chinese are making deals with Russia, with Iran, probably with Saudi Arabia, to begin to trade gold and the yuan, the Chinese currency, for oil. And when that happens, the American dollar is going to be utterly worthless. No one will want it. They don't want it now, but they've got no way to get rid of it until somebody comes up with something better, and the Chinese have just done that. So those countries who will make up the majority of the earth, and the UN may be the beginnings of that, the United Nations, uh, are going to arise because they already hate us. They don't want our dollar. They don't want our influence. 
So they are against us. But we're still riding the beast. We're the ones who, what do you do when you ride something? You are the one that put the spurs and the whip to and send it where it's supposed to go. I don't think that's the actual analogy that John intended there because it's speaking of the great whore. So it is a sexual relationship that it's using as a type. That she is on top. She is controlling what goes on in the intercourse of the world. But that is going to change because the beast hates that great whore who has been riding the beast. And God uses these alliances and these uh, various treaties and so on that we make with the other nations as whoredoms. Unfaithful to God and unfaithful to Christ because He did say in His covenants with us that we were to look to Him for our protection. We were to look to Him for our economic strength. We were to look to Him for everything because He is our God. So instead of worshiping Him, we have made military alliances with other countries. We have also made all kinds of economic treaties with other countries. Notwithstanding that He told us in Deuteronomy that the promised land would have everything we need. He gave us everything we need. But we decided we needed other things. So we began to go to others and have them make our things. And the God of materiality and the idol of money became our idol. We worship materiality. And if we can get Tupperware made in China cheaper than we can get it made here, that's what happens. And now we have bankrupted ourselves. We were the head, and now we are the tail. And God said that would happen. I think that's in Hosea about Ephraim as well. So, the beast and the false prophet are going to throw the great American whore off and kill her. End of Revelation 17. Then they will take prominence on the world as the new head of Satan's Babylonian system. And God tells us then right after that, in Revelation 18, to depart from her, to get away from this modern Babylon that is going to be destroyed, which is America. That we be not partakers of her sins and the plagues that will come as a result of those sins. Now that is further defined in Isaiah 52, Isaiah 48, uh, Micah 4. I can go to a lot of scriptures that show that we are to get out of the midst of Babylon, get out of the cities, Go to the wilderness, and there we will be preserved and protected. So, God is going to cause this nation to be destroyed. And those other places that I just quoted are talking to Israel and Judah. Is who they're talking to when they say, get out of Babylon. So, it clarifies that Revelation 18 is talking about this nation. And then you go into the book of Revelation 18, and how this destruction is going to come suddenly... And it is the economy that will be destroyed and the military. But there's more said there about the economy and the merchants of the earth and them crying and bewailing the fact that we have been destroyed. Who is the one that is the market of the world? 
Who has bought everything the world could produce? Us. The Chinese don't have McMansions. The Japanese don't. Some of the strongest economies in the world today besides this one. They don't have the same standard of living by any means that Americans have had for the last 50 years. And then everybody else below that's even poorer. Now you can say that Europe is somewhat close in what they have had over the last 50 years to us after they finally rebuilt from World War II and so on. But they're also Israelites. See? And God blessed Israel. He just blessed Ephraim with a double portion. Gave them the first son's inheritance. Now Herbert Armstrong was, uh, I think, in error when he defined the power blocks of the world. And that's one reason I wanted to talk about this here. But he felt the main power block that would destroy America would be Western Europe, with the Germans leading the charge. Now, the problem with that is that all Israel has to be destroyed, not just Ephraim. And if God's wrath is going to come on all Israel, then Israel can't be the destroyer. They have to be the destroyed. So if Western Europe is Israelite, which I believe that it is, firmly, then they can't form the ten nations of the book of Revelation and of Daniel that are spoken of that Herbert Armstrong thought was the case. Now, why did he think that, and why did he make an error? And why did God allow it? A, Herbert Armstrong was not going to be around to see it, so he didn't need to know about it. B, uh, Germany had just whipped up on Europe twice in one century, and during the early life of Herbert Armstrong, these wars had occurred. So, naturally, he thought of Hitler and Nazism as the boogeyman, and he thought that they were the Assyrian who would whip up on Israel, thinking that that was about to happen. Well, Hitler and Germany never did whip Israel, did they? Didn't happen. <clears throat> and Germany today is not one of the leading power blocks of the world. They just aren't. Uh, they have a certain amount of economic might, but they don't have a great military might now, unless they got something under Antarctica that we don't know about. Uh, but they are not a major player at this point. I tend to think, and I could be wrong, that there are probably more Israelites in Germany than there are Gentiles. I think that probably there is a great amount of Danish people or people from Dan in Germany. Denmark, Dansmark, is just above it and probably also has a lot of Dan Danish people as, or Danites as Herbert Armstrong and our scholars thought. But you also have the name Dan, or the trail of Dan, throughout Germany. The name Dan appears quite a bit. Ever hear the Danube River? Uh, so, it may very well be that there are a lot of Danites there. Well, what does the Scripture say in Genesis 49 about Dan? It says they would nip at their brother's heels. Now, which neighbor 
as we look at modern history, which of the who has whipped up on the Israelite nation's heels? Germany. Wasn't Den- it wasn't Denmark. It wasn't Belgium. It wasn't France. It wasn't England. Germany. So I think Germany fits that prophecy better than anybody in northwestern Europe or that is affiliated with the Israelitish nations today. So if we are to look for a mighty power block that will be used in the end times to whip up on the great Babylonian whore America, is Germany capable of that today? I don't think it appears that that's at all a possibility. Who could? Who has the power to do it? Kim Jong-un, or as I call him, Young-un? No, he's just kind of a pimple on the backside of the world at the moment. Uh, He is developing a few toys that he likes. Maybe he'll be a catalyst to set some things off. Who knows? But he certainly doesn't have the power to be considered a major power block. If he's in any power block, it would be the Asian one, uh, one of the main four, and is an, uh, an ally, in fact, with China. Uh, they kind of try to keep him behind the door at the moment because of his threats and so on, but he is their ally, not ours, by any means. So, Israel is America and essentially northwestern Europe. And the main power that people are still afraid of in the world today. Now, Russia and China are beginning to flex their muscles, and so is the Islamic world. So if there's only four main power blocks, and the USA is one of them today, and is going to be destroyed by the beast that is to come, then who are the others? You get into Daniel, and it talks about the king of the north fighting with the king of the south back and forth. Well, two of those power blocks then almost have to be defined as Russia and her allies, the Assyrian, and the Islamic world and their allies, essentially Ishmael and the Arabs and others who might side with them. Because uh, we'll be destroyed. We're not the king of the north. We're not the king of the south. Now, you might say for the moment we're the king of the north because we are the greatest power in the north. But when we go under, that certainly will not be the case. And it says that the king of the north, the Assyrian, over and over and over, will be the one that leads the coalition that will destroy this country. Come on, Israel, and on Ephraim. It says we, like a silly dove, go to the Assyrian for help. Did some of our politicians go to the Russians for help during some of the elections? Depends on who you read. Uh, Does Trump have somewhat of an alliance with the Russians, our president today? Uh, I have read that he has made deals in past years before he was ever in the presidency with some of the bankers and power holders in Russia to help finance his empire. So, he has a history of going to the Assyrians for help, if, they're, if Russia is the Assyrian power, just like Hosea says. 
So, I believe that Russia and her allies essentially form the King of the North, or will, for the end-time prophecies, and be the leaders of the ten-nation beast power. Islam is its own world. The Muslims are their own world. And they want world dominance as well. So, this world-ruling empire that is going to occur, whether it's called the UN or whether they come up with a different name or a different entity, but essentially it may be under the auspices of the UN, is going to unite, first of all, to destroy America. It will be a worldwide coalition against us. And we will be destroyed. Then... Daniel says that that is a kingdom of iron and miry clay. That the feet of the beast will be iron and miry clay. Well, what happens to you when you have no feet? What happens, George? You don't move around much, do you? You don't move around much. You don't get much done. So when those feet fall apart that beast becomes ineffective. And it is iron and miry clay because you do not mix the nations and the religions of the East and the Muslim-Islam complex with the kingdoms of the North. It doesn't work too well. So they will fight each other. And Daniel 11 and scriptures in Daniel show that, that the king of the North and the king of the South America not involved now. Now, some of that will occur within the Holy Land in, a, in, in this country because the beast will be ruling this country. And they will take over the Holy Land, the temple of God, and set up uh, an abomination there at the end of uh, the time of building the temple in Jerusalem there in Daniel 9. So they're going to be here, but it will not be Americans that are ruling. It will be the beast power. America will be divided up. Talks about four kings there in Daniel. Uh, I think it's in, is it eight or nine? Somewhere right in there. Four horns will rise up in this nation. It will be divided into four pieces. And then one of those, the little horn mentioned there, is going to come against the church, which will be in the southwest. So it may be, the, the little horn may be in the southwest quadrant. I, I saw a quote from Arnold Schwarzenegger where he said that's the section he wants to rule. And that was quickly deleted <laughs> because it wasn't supposed, that cat was supposed to still be in the bag, apparently. That's several years ago. So then you're going to have the king of the north led by the Assyrian Russia against the Ishmaelite tribes to the south. And on the scene also will be, and to come a little later apparently, once America is destroyed, there will be some alliances between the three powers that be, but there will be wars among them. And Gog and Magog, or Meshach and Tubal, uh, from Japheth, the Asian nations, will come against Israel later, as we'll see uh, further on in the book of, of, uh, of Ezekiel. So those four, America, Ephraim, and the head of the beast at the moment, will be destroyed, no longer be a power. 
That will leave three powers. King of the North, Russia and her Federation. King of the South, basically Ishmael and whoever allies with them. And uh, the hordes of the East. Central America, South America, Africa will simply be vassals underneath those three great powers. They have no power today, and they will not then. So, if you understand that, then when you read or hear the news, think of those four power blocks. And that will help you fit together what you see happening. And if you know the fate of each... You can read Daniel 11 and see how it comes out after the king of the north and the king of the south fight for a while. The king of the north comes out on top and establishes their power in the Holy Land. Then you have, they will, probably those two will somewhat decimate each other. And then you will have the hordes of the east who come against uh, us. And we'll see that as we go on through here. So, the theologians don't understand that, so consider yourself blessed that you do. Now that we're almost done with the day, let's get into Ezekiel 29. But I wanted to preface what we're going into, and as a postscript, really what we've already been through, because it's talking about some of these nations here in Ezekiel that are going to be destroyed. And it picks it up here after introducing Satan as the prince of the power of the air and the ruler of modern Babylon, to come against uh, some of these other peoples. So, with the understanding we just reviewed, let's see what he says here in Ezekiel 29. Son of man, set your face against Pharaoh king of Egypt, and prophesy against him and against all Egypt. Now, all Egypt is interesting the way that that is put. We have seen in Exodus 12 and on, that Egypt is used as a type of sin in the world. And God frequently forbade people to go down into Egypt because that was a type of the worldly system, the satanic system. So, Egypt, in a larger sense, is not talking about a little desert kingdom in North Africa with one river. Uh the Egyptians that are there today essentially are Arabs. Uh, if you go, if you look at the uh, the Sphinx, you look at the uh, pyramids and various artworks and monuments and cultural icons in Egypt, you'll find that the uh, the Sphinx uh, has negroid features. Uh, no features on the uh, pyramids. But Israel was in captivity, mentioned in the Psalms three or four times, as in the land of Ham, or among black people. Now, that may have been over on this continent at that particular time in history, but most of the blacks now, having been in South America with many cultural uh, things and and, uh, statues and various things left behind, which indicate black people were there, Central America and even North America. There's artwork and various things that show they were here. Primarily today, then, they're on the continent of Africa, having gone back, for they were here during the days of Abraham. Canaan was already in the land when he got here. So they moved around. Uh, 
where was I going with this? Oh, where, who is Egypt? Uh, there were black people involved in the captivity of Israel. It also mentions Isaiah 52 that the Assyrian had some uh, effect there as well when we were in captivity. So was it some kind of a, an alliance between the land of Ham and the land of Assyria to the north because the Assyrian Empire perhaps, or maybe earlier, uh, had been in the Middle East where Nineveh has been unearthed, probably correct, that the first cradle of civilization was here in North America, the Garden of Eden and so on, here where the Chinese, the Hopis, the Navajos and others say is the land of their origin. And during Noah's flood, uh, the ark went across uh, to the nation of what Turkey is today in Mount Ararat, and there they went down and inhabited the area of Mesopotamia, which became the second cradle of civilization. And that's very likely where Abraham was living when God says, get you up out of the land of your father and go to a place that I'll show you. So uh, that's where the second civilization after Noah began. And they came back over here, and it was back and forth. You know, the earth was one landmass at one point. It was divided in the days of Peleg, soon after the flood. And uh, in a larger sense, is talking about something bigger here than that little desert nation today, which is a third, fourth-rate kingdom. It's got to be something bigger than that when it talks about all the destruction and everything that is going to come. Really? Isn't the Bible talking about bigger power blocks and types? You know, there was an ancient Babylon ruled over by Nebuchadnezzar, but it was a limited kingdom. And then the Bible prophecies talk about Israel, I mean, uh, Satan being the king of Babylon, king of Tyre. So, Satan's kingdom is how big? It's the whole world. Egypt represents sin. Who else represents sin? Satan. So, Egypt then, by and large, becomes a type for Satan's whole system wherever it may be in the world. It's not just talking about that little nation of Egypt on the shores of the Mediterranean Sea. It's much bigger than that. So think bigger than that when you read about these prophecies of Egypt. It's insignificant today, essentially. This is talking about the nations and the powers that are significant. Satan's system is highly significant in the world today. It permeates the world. It is everywhere. It was represented by the nation of Ham in the past, but now it is symbolic of Satan's system around the world. So he says, prophesy against all Egypt. That might right there say it's larger than just a little country. Speak and say, thus says the eternal God, Behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Who is that ultimately? The devil. The great dragon. Oh, who's the great dragon in Scripture? The devil. So the Pharaoh, or the king of modern-day Egypt, is that dragon that lies in the midst of, the ri of his rivers, which has said, My river is my own, and I have made it for myself. Now, rivers there is plural. And the rivers all over the earth are dominated by Satan. 
not just one river in Egypt, the Nile, but rivers. Now, river can also be uh, symbolic of people. We'll see a little later on that the fish in the river were symbolic of people. Well, right here. Uh, he says, my river is my own. I, I have it all. The only river that exists is me. But I, God says, I will put hooks in your jaws, and I will cause your fish of your rivers to stick to your scales. And I will bring you up out of the midst of the rivers, and all the fish of the rivers shall stick to your scales. So there I think he's using the metaphor of fish in the rivers as people. And Satan, with his kingdoms and his armies, uh, with their armor on, the people will stick to that armor. <coughs> they will cling to it as their protection. They'll hang on to it. Now when you go into Joel, you will find that there are seemingly indestructible soldiers there, leaping over buildings and uh, unable to be harmed, unable to be killed. And I have, I've thought this before they ever started really making robots, that that was talking about robotic-type soldiers. And now we literally have them who will be used as warriors, We've never not used anything we've made, right? I read an article just yesterday that they had a robot teach itself the game of chess. It had mastered the game in four hours, and it had come up with strategies for the game of chess that had never been thought of or considered by any of the chess masters of the world. And they sat this robot down with one of the chess masters of the world, and it beat him quite handily. Be scared of robots. They're coming. Now they have sex bots, and they can do anything a human can do. And you can allegedly at least buy them, and they have in, I think it's in the Netherlands, they have a house of ill repute where you go in and use robots instead of real women. You think things are getting crazy? So, I think Joel is speaking... Let's go back there and read that right quick. It's amazing the way it's put. Joel 2. And that might fit in very well with what we're reading right here. Uh, okay. Speaking of the day of the Lord here, when we're supposed to be blowing a, a horn in Zion, which I'm doing today, the day of the Lord comes, it is near at hand. Darkness and clouds and so on. Uh, and a great people, second half of verse 2, and a strong there has not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. Well, there have been many wars in the past. There have been many different types of soldiers in the past. But here it's talking about a great and strong people, and there's never been anything like it, nor ever will 
be allowed to be again. A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is as the Garden of Eden in front of them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Yes, and nothing shall escape them. They have the capacity to devour everything in their path. They appear as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen so shall they run. So, they don't necessarily always look like men, and they move as fast as horses. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap. Like the noise of a flame of fire that devours the stubble as a strong people set in battle array. Can these robotic beings be equipped with all kinds of incendiary weapons? And maybe it's even talking of airplanes and tanks as well. Because they go where they want and essentially can't be stopped. Before their face, the people shall be much pained. All faces shall gather blackness. Now notice, they shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war. And they shall march everyone on his ways. And they shall not break their ranks. Human beings will break rank under great fire. These will not. They don't have human fears and emotions. Neither shall one thrust another... Uh, they shall walk everyone in his pass, and when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. Now, if a human being falls on a sword and it goes up through his abdomen, he's wounded. These will not. They shall run to and fro in the city. They'll run upon the wall, climb up upon the houses, and render the windows like a thief. The earth will shake before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon dark. God's doing some of that and so on. Well, this is the great army that God sends against Israel. For his camp is very great, for he is strong that executes his word. The day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can abide it? Abide it. Now, that sounds something beyond human to me either modern war machines or robotic war machines. But notice back here again in Ezekiel 29. I'll put hooks in your jaws, God says. You, you can't fight me. And the rivers, the people, the fish in there will stick to you. Their armor, their power, their might, their military, thinking that the military of the beast can save them. But they can't hide from God. I will leave you thrown into the wilderness. Yes, you and all the fish of your rivers shall fall upon the open fields. You shall not be brought together nor gathered. I have given you for meat to the beasts of the field of the fowls of the heaven. So if you have <coughs> a flood of rivers, and I think that the type is made clear here in Revelation 12. Remember it says that Satan, when he is cast down from heaven, will send a flood after God's people as they flee to their place of safety. So a flood of water or a river is used there to depict an army that is sent after God's people. So the same is used here in the book of Ezekiel. You stop the river. What does a river flow? It, it flows. How does it go? It flows as a great power. Have you ever felt the water of a mighty river? 
and how powerful it can be? Well, that's the way an army can be. And here the fish in it are the soldiers. And the people, or they're the people, and the military might, the ones wearing the armor, are the ones that the people stick to. But God's going to stop the flood of the rivers, the armies, and He is going to leave the people out on dry land. That doesn't flow. And there they will be food for the beasts. So God's going to stop Satan's river and rivers. And the open fields is where the people will lay. Given you from meat to the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven. And all the inhabitants of Egypt, and you might even say the world, shall know that I am the Eternal, because they have been a staff of reed to the house of Israel. The world will have been beating up on Israel, and then God will take out His anger on them. Remember in the first few chapters of Isaiah, right through 8, 9, 10, 11, it talks about how the Assyrian will come and uh, whip up on Israel, along with a great alliance there in chapter 8, a confederacy, a uh, conspiracy, if you can use the word, against Israel. And then God says that the rod of His anger, the rod that He used to show His wrath, His anger, the Assyrian, would then be destroyed. So, God will use the heathen nations of this world to punish Israel, and then because they punished His number one nation, they also will be destroyed. So, all the inhabitants of the world, all the armies, all the rivers of Satan, because Satan's kingdom is going to be destroyed, will know that he is the eternal. Because what do you do? You take a staff of a reed plant and you whip up on somebody or use it for punishment on them. So when they took hold of you by the hand, you did break. When the world's powers took Ephraim by the hand, or we... uh, No, when they took hold of our hand, we broke. (laughs) Do you ever have somebody give you a real strong handshake? where you kind of go down on your knees and they felt like they could break your hand? Well, that's the analogy used here. They, your hand will break and your shoulder will be out of joint. And when they leaned on you, you broke and made all their loins to be at a stand. They stood up on their hind legs strongly while you had your hand and your arm and yourself bow before them and break before them. Is Egypt, that little land that we call Egypt today, going to do that to this country? No. Ain't going to happen. The Assyrian and this worldwide coalition will. So if he's using the context of Egypt here, and he says that they are going to break us, then it has to be something bigger than that little nation. Because other scriptures show us who's going to break us. Now, they may be allied with it, but they won't be leading it. Therefore thus says the eternal God, Behold, I will bring a sword upon you and cut off man and beast out of you, and the land of Egypt shall be desolate and waste. And they shall know that I am the eternal. Is God going to whip all the nations of the earth? I can show you lots of scriptures that indicate that. Every knee will bow before Christ when He comes in power. 
and the whole world will know he's the Lord. Now, if the little nation of Egypt whipped the United States, would that convince anybody that God is God? What if God destroyed Egypt? Well, the U.S. has already kind of done that. We kind of destroyed Libya, and we kind of destroyed Iraq, and we kind of de- sort of destroyed Syria, and we're about to destroy Iran, I think, and maybe North Korea too. Who knows? How does that show who God is, all these little nations that we kind of whip on the side now and then? No, when God destroys Satan's kingdom, the whole earth, then they'll know who's in charge. They'll know who God is. Satan already knows, but he won't admit it. The rest of the world, essentially today, worship Satan. And they will see Satan's kingdom destroyed. So that is the metaphor for the end time Egypt. Because he has said, who said it? The dragon said, the river is mine and I've made it. He's repeating what he said earlier. And it says that it's the dragon there in verse 3 that says that. I don't think that's talking about a 16 foot crocodile in the Nile. The dragon in the Bible is Satan the devil. Verse 10, Behold, therefore, I am against you and against your rivers, and I will make the land of Egypt or sin utterly waste and desolate. And uh, to the border of Ethiopia it says here, notice verse 11, No foot of man shall pass through it, nor foot of beast shall pass through it, neither shall it be inhabited forty years. So when God brings this destruction down, how long did God cause Israel to wander through the wilderness when they came out of sin? Forty years. How long is God going to punish the world of sin after they destroy Israel? Forty years. What goes around comes around. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but it may mean that when the destruction of the seven last plagues and God's great wrath is poured out on the nations, He is going to, at the beginning of the millennium, when His kingdom comes down, He is going to begin to gather Israel out of the nations. And Israel, which has been taken into captivity will be brought back here to our original promised land. Now that may take some time, and God may not... He will restore Israel before He restores anybody. Okay? I think He would have to. That has been His chosen nation. It has been His example nation. His spiritual nation, the church, will have overseen the destruction of the beast kingdom through the two witnesses followed by the seven last plagues. So he will use spiritual Israel the bride to to redraw physical Israel out of the nations, and it may be 40 years before he even turns and begins to look at the Gentile nations who have punished Israel at the end. Maybe that's what this is saying. I don't know that. But I could see where God would wait to address them. Now, inhabited could mean in a good way. I mean, there'll be approximately 100 million people left when the earth, when the seven last plagues are accomplished, says Daniel. And those are the ones God will begin to judge during the millennium. 
So it could very well be that God puts on this world that 40 years of wandering in the wilderness that he had on Israel. Never thought of the scripture in that light before, but I think that's probably what it's saying. And uh, it is only after that 40 years that they will be given the breath of life or a glimmer of light that they could also have the blessings that Israel has begun to enjoy. So, by not being inhabited, that might very well mean that they will be left in a starving, destitute condition, barely surviving, but not inhabiting the land, if you will, in a positive way, uh, as Israel will. Now, I suspect that there will be some people... What does Ezekiel say? One-third will die of famine and pestilence, Ezekiel 5. One-third of, of uh, the sword... And one-third then will go into captivity, and a sword after them. Now, that captivity may include some people left here. Because the new owners of America will need people to serve them. So they may not all go to foreign countries. The UN might decide if they're the ones, the body still named that, uh, that are disseminating us out. It's been a worldwide coalition to destroy America, so shouldn't they share in the spoils? So some of what's here will probably be divided up among all those who were used to destroy us. So they'll send the Joneses to Guatemala and the Andersons to uh, Slobovia or wherever. And they may leave some here for the new rulers of this country, divided into four portions, four horns, ruling four sections, they're going to need servants too. So even though the Scriptures say Israel will be desolate and devastated, does that mean totally? Maybe not. And maybe here, when it says these people will be desolate and not inhabit, it may mean that they are basically wiped out, but they're not all dead. And Israel, when she is gathered at the beginning of the millennium, will be gathered out of those nations who have been destroyed, culminating in the seven last plagues. So I would not be at all surprised that God waits 40 years to address them and begin to give them some of the blessings that he will have started to give Israel first. Does that make sense? The whole Bible is written about Israel. Israelites are the bride of Christ. Uh, some not of blood, uh, but of conversion. Become grafted in as spiritual Israelites. So Israel is the key all the way through. And it doesn't mean Gentiles can't become spiritual Israelites. They certainly can, and they're just as much an Israelite as anybody else. God makes no distinction. Uh, he does not uh, put one above another. He is not a respecter of persons. But did he tell Israel to be his model nation? And the nation he chose to be that because of Abraham's obedience. He had to pick somebody, didn't he? How many obedient people were there on the earth? Very, very few. Maybe only one, really, by the time Enoch died. Uh, there weren't very many. And Enoch was, if he was still alive, or some of the sons of, of Noah... They were at the end of life. God was beginning something new through Abraham. 
So he told us to be the example to the world. How did we do? We became the great whore of the Bible. So God is going to destroy us. So I think this 40 years could fit in there very, very well. That the whole world will be in disarray and confusion until God waits 40 years and then begins a positive uh, inhabitation of the world by beginning to bless it. (coughs) Verse 12, I will make the land of Egypt desolate in the midst of the countries that are desolate. And her cities among the cities that are laid waste shall be desolate forty years. And I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and will disperse them through the countries. So it will be a time of worldwide slavery and captivity. Whoever strongest takes whoever they want. Do you really think that the power blocks that have become the ten-nation dictatorship with its world religion are going to honor the sovereignty and the freedom of all the little nations around the world that are banana republics that they could care less about? Or will they sell them into slavery? I ask you, are they not already? There are people who are being traded as slaves right now in this country. It's kind of kept out of the public eye. Uh, the big wigs in Washington and Hollywood and the billionaires and the globalists are the ones doing it. But the trade of little children as sex tools, toys is going on right here. Children disappear. Some of Child Protective Services provide children for that conglomerate. And grown people are being traded as slaves in different places around the world. If you're in the right position and know who to ask, you can go buy somebody. Is it going to stop? No. It'll just get worse. So they'll get dispersed. Yet thus says the eternal God, At the end of forty years will I gather the Egyptians from the people where they were scattered, and I will bring again the captivity of Egypt, and will cause them to return into the land of Pathros, into the land of their habitation, and they shall there be a base kingdom. It'll be the basis of the kingdoms. Now, it may be that the original Egyptians are included here. In a larger sense, it's talking about Satan's whole system around the world. But there are people who were uh, original Egyptians who still have that blood. Some of it may be the sons of Ham, and who knows who all is intermarried. And Ham even intermarried a great deal with Israel. So you can trace Israelite blood in Africa, deepest, darkest black Africa today. Back to David, they say. And that is very highly possible. Because even in Abraham's day and thereafter, uh, Israel was intermarrying with the Hamites, the Canaanites who were there. (coughs) So it may be that some of those Hamitic peoples who enslaved Israel will be a third and fourth-rate nation among all of those who survived the attack on Satan's whole world system. And they may become that third or fourth basest kingdom. Now, it does say that of all the tribes of the earth there in Zechariah 14, so all nations will not be, at the time of the millennium, considered Egyptian. 
they will have been coming out of sin and therefore will no longer be classed culturally or spiritually as Egyptians. The whole world is today. But the other nations will start repenting. So he says, but if the Egyptians don't come up, they will receive no rain until they come to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So it may be that those who were the original Egyptians who captured Israel way back in Joseph's day may be the specific nation that is the basis of nations. Well, how will they be the basis of nations in the millennium? If the others begin to repent, they will begin to receive some of God's blessings. But if these don't, they won't. And if you don't receive any of God's blessings going into the millennium, you're going to be the basest. You'll still be the worst. And when you finally decide to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, then you'll begin to get some rain, and maybe that baseness will begin to go away. So I think we can fit in the whole kingdom of the dragon, the world, as a type of sin, but also maintain that there is an original nation that will have to be punished and will remain base until they finally turn to God, and they are symbolic of the whole world that would not originally turn to God. But they won't rule anymore. Verse 16, And it shall be no more the confidence of the house of Israel, which brings their iniquity to remembrance, when they shall look after them, but they shall know that I am the Eternal. What has happened to the confidence of Israel when we think of the captivity that we were in originally in the land of Ham? And what is our confidence level going to be when the nations of Satan, Egypt, a coalition of the world's nations, destroy us and take us into captivity once more? And you come out of that going into the millennium and you will have a very recent remembrance of your iniquity. And you won't have confidence as an American anymore. But they'll know that God is the Lord. So we, I mean not we, uh, the church who will be the bride of Christ, but Israelites who return will see Egypt become base before them. They'll see all the nations of Satan destroyed and the Israelites then will have confidence because they know who the Lord is and will no longer worship the dragon. So they can begin to get past the captivity that they have just gone through. I find it really ironic that we were the captives of Ham under Joseph and then we took Ham- Hamitic peoples captive in this country as slaves and now we are going to go into captivity again and Ham is going to be a part of where we are sent as captives the whole world is where we'll be sent 
but some will be sent to Ham, I'm sure, as well. So it goes back and forth. Anyway, verse 17, It came to pass in the 27th year, in the first month, in the first day of the month, the word of the Eternal came to me, saying, Son of man, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, caused his army to serve a great service against Tyre. Every head was made bald, and every shoulder was peeled, yet had no wages, nor his army, for Tyre, for the service that he had served against it. So, Tyre which I think is equivalent of New York City. You might combine L.A. and Washington and, and our major ports, but Tyre is representative of the power of the cities of this country. And we are the current head of Babylon. But here he says that the new Babylon, when the great whore is destroyed by the beast and the false prophet, this new Babylonian takes over, and he is uh, a type of Nebuchadnezzar. And he had a great service against Tyre. Well, see, Tyre was part of Babylon. Tyre was part of the power here at the end of the United States power block. But here, the beast and the false prophet will come against Tyre and destroy it. Every head was made bald and every shoulder was peeled and he had no wages. That means you're a slave. He's going to take the nation's the beast, the false prophet power, will take us and make slaves out of us. He had no wages, nor his army, for Tyrus, for the service that he had served against it. We won't get paid. Therefore, thus says the eternal God, Behold, I will give the land of Egypt unto Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take her multitude, and take her spoil, and take her prey, and it shall be the wages for his army. Won't the beast power rule the whole earth? Yes, they will. They'll take every spoil of the whole world for themselves. <clears throat> I have given him the land of Egypt for his labor, wherewith he served against it, because they worked for me, says the Eternal. I'm, he says, I'm the one who raised up the Assyrian. I'm the one who raised up the coalition against America and Israel to destroy it. Now notice here, gives you a sense of the timing. In that day will I cause the horn of the house of Israel to bud forth, and I will give you the opening of the mouth in the midst of them, and they shall know that I am the Eternal. Well, now what's this referring to? This is referring to the time when the horn of Israel begins to bud. It isn't when Israel is a full-sized tree in her own land. It is when it begins to bud. Now look back in the book of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was told, You will shut up, be shut up in your house, and you shall not speak just within your house. There are, I think, two occasions that's mentioned earlier in Ezekiel. We've already been over them. Now, along with that, uh, the, the two witnesses are told in Revelation 11, end of the chapter, uh, no, Revelation 10, end of the chapter, that they must speak once again. There they are given the little book that tastes good in your mouth, 
the kingdom of God that is to come. But then when you realize what has to happen first, your belly becomes bitter. We went through that in Ezekiel as well as in Revelation 10. But at the beginning of Revelation 11, it tells those two to deal only with the church, that is, in their own house, the altar, the ministry, and them that worship there. They are not to go to the world. They are to be locked up in spiritual Israel, the house, the temple of God, and not speak to the world. Then, later, after they have gotten the church squared away, they go to the world, to the Gentiles, and preach around the world as a witness to the whole world, and then the end shall come. So, the budding forth of the horn of Israel begins with those two, and those who come to help them. Book of Haggai, Zechariah. That's what this is speaking of. The whole world is going to destroy America, basically, and then out of that, God says He will be a wall of defense and protection for His church, who will come to Zion and set up, He will set up a Garden of Eden that is protected from the rest of the world. It'll bud forth. And when it begins to bud, the Gentile nations will come in and take over the temple that we have built and defile it. And then they will have their mouths open to speak for 1260 days. Now, I wasn't going to go into chapter 30 because of time, but let's, let's go into here just three verses to show what I'm saying. The word of the Eternal came to me again, saying, Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says the Eternal God, Howl ye. Now, when wolves and coyotes talk, they howl, they scream. You can hear it for a long way. Howl. Woe worth the day. Three woes of Revelation. Woe worth the day of the Lord, if you will. For the day is near, even the day of the Lord is near. So the woes are spoken of in Revelation after having been mentioned back here. A cloud day, it shall be the time of the heathen. What do you mean time of the heathen? Go to Luke 21, 24, parallel scripture to Matthew 24, where the gospel will be preached around the world as a witness, and then the end will come. There it says that there will be 42 months are the times of the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? The heathen. Time of the heathen, time of the Gentiles. Speaking of the same time just before the day of the Lord. Then is when the beginning of that 42 months, that three and a half years, that 1260 days, that's when the mouth of the two witnesses is opened so that they can speak to the whole world and preach the gospel around the world as a witness during the 42 months of the times of the Gentiles, which will be cut off when they are killed in the streets of Jerusalem at the end of their preaching, and then Christ will come and resurrect His bride and marry her and come back and destroy all the kingdoms, which will have to then become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His King. So that's the time that this is speaking of. <clears throat> and it's uh, God's work will begin its final phase during the time when these wars have started and America has been destroyed 
and the only safe place in America will be around Mount Zion and Jerusalem. And then not even Jerusalem, just Zion when the church flees there uh, at the beginning of that 1260 days when the, when the abomination is set up. So the book of Ezekiel is right in step with all the other prophecies here at the end of the age. So we'll stop there for today.